Black friend called me a dweeb. For this guy's course, and I had a fight with his assistant. Where are you calling from again? 
You're such an ass how you say something that's so conveniently true to say. You are tiny compared to me. Sorry. I think I found an incorrect video. It's, it's uh, you know, changeable. How are you more important? Hello, Miss America. Dear Miss America, the world waits on you. Your beauty, your funny, your laughter and warmth is what we all want from you. How nice. <laughs> I, try, I, I try to do a little bit of good for all of the disservice I do to my family. You started to do what, honey? Little bit good. So much bad, so little good. I can't hear you well, honey. Are you talking into the phone? I don't know if this is the phone or what. Okay. Hello? Yeah. Uh, what did you just say? You're going into what? Uh, I have my therapy. You're doing what? I have my therapy appointment in five minutes. Talk into the phone and loud. I have my therapy appointment in five minutes. What I have to, what to say? Alex, please, honey, help me out. Try into it. Have have my therapy in five minutes. Oh, yeah. are you close by? He calls. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Let me know after you see him. Oh. Okay? Um, what are you doing today? How are you doing? Tired. What about you? 
So you you walking to him or no. how far is he? Um, phone call. How far is he? Are you there? Phone call. Okay. All right. Good luck, sweetheart. Call me later. Okay. Um. What are you doing? Nothing. It's <laughs> terrible out. It's raining. So terrible. Did, did you take your umbrella? Phone call. Not person. It's raining here. I'm not sure if you could hear me completely. What, honey? I'm not sure if you could hear me, actually. It's but, not raining there? No, you definitely just don't hear what I'm saying. You gotta be kidding. No. No, it's raining here. It's a nasty day. But you can't see anyone anyway. I know. You can't see anyone anyway. It's right. But I'm glad you're over there. I would appreciate if you call me when you get home. I'm home. And how will you get over there in 10 minutes? Phone call. You take a cab? No, it's a phone call. You walk? No, it's a phone call. You take Uber? No. <laughs> Do you have a cold? I don't think so. Alex, call me when you finish, honey. But you can't even hear me. Where are you? I'm in my apartment. In your apartment? Yeah. I, I thought you said you're going over to No. Me. Phone call. I can't quite understand. You say one thing and you're home. We do, we do the, the appointments on the phone. Honey, I don't hear you. I'm so sorry. We have phone call appointments via te you telephone. Tell <laughs> Te telephone call appointment. For Are you talking into it loud? I don't want the neighbors to oh, hear me talking talk about therapy because the walls are so thin. But all right, honey, I can't. Are you seeing Harrison this weekend? They don't want to see me. No, I know. Nobody stay 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 at your own place. Okay, not yeah, not the problem. Yeah, I had a ton of work over the week. Good. Yeah. Well, that'll keep No, Nani, Nani. I'm calling the therapist on the telephone since I don't go in person. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Miss you. Okay. Miss You're you. You're going to speak to him Sp yeah, on speaking. the phone? Yeah, speaking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. my dear. Fine. Let me know. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you, you later. Oh, I, I, I had the best meatballs that I have to tell you about. The, All right, I'll talk to you later. Have you ever been to Rayo's? No, I have never been to one. The other phone is ringing. Excuse me, I'll talk to you later. Okay. That was painful in the relative sense. I just tried to stay in contact with my grandmother because she truly doesn't have an awful lot of time left. And if I were to take that for granted, not allowing her into my life to the fullest capacity, bringing joy to her and transitive principle me as well, I don't think that she would be in anywhere near the cheering deer if she did not have me in her life. Is that a fact? Does water flow? I don't know. When you break things down to the quantum physical particle level, you find that subatomic particles, as per the 
Schrodinger equation will actually be in different probabilities depending on how you measure it. So I don't think that bodes well for our society trying to seek factual truths. Hold on. Hello. Oh, hey, Joe. I thought someone just texted me. I thought you just texted me, but it was someone else. How's it going? It's uh, going well, man. How about yourself? I mean, as good as it could be going. Uh, I'm hanging in, doing the work from home thing. Have you been uh, outside at all recently? Um, just to get food. I actually, I had to unfortunately go into the office yesterday, uh, briefly, but I was the, I was the, aside from two doormen who had the situation on lock, like they, under, they understood more than anyone about like sanitation and testing. And so did the Uber driver. It seems like everyone's taking more precautions. Like all these like people who have kind of blue collar jobs, they're all, they all seem to be super on top of it because they deal with people so much more. While people like in my mom's wheelhouse, a lot of those people took a while to catch on and they don't seem to be taking as well. My mom definitely does. But like I hear a lot of people in my family have coughs and might be sick. It's, and some friends I know have parents having it. Some people know one or two people who died, unfortunately, not like close to me, but it's crazy. You know, I just had to get like very urgent papers at the office. I really wish I didn't go. I unfortunately, which I never do, I, I had to lie to my mom because she wasn't uh, allowing me to go and she was telling me to tell my office crazy stuff. She didn't realize that there was no way to do it. Either I got the papers or I didn't because there was no one else to go and, and get my specific papers and like scan them into a machine to do my specific role. There just like wasn't anyone there. So she didn't understand that, and she yelled at me for four days saying I had to tell my company I couldn't do it because I got bronchitis when I was eight. So it was kind of just a, a tug and pull, and I realized I just had to get the Uber, go, and then come back and tell her that they got, got someone else to do it. But it's hard lying to a parent. So she asked me who, who went instead of you. I said, Dr. Jekyll. I didn't know what to say, so... She was a little skeptical, but I think it's kind of past. So, it's what whatever. did you tell her, Doctor Jekyll? I was just trying to be funny, like a duality personality. It wasn't me. It was, it was uh, my version who goes. I try and do like tongue in cheek jokes, like an alternate personality. Just went and got the files, and as if nothing ever happened. It, it was foolish. Um. So, for today. Yeah. Would you like to talk about uh, the quarantine, how you're doing, or do you want to continue on, uh, I guess? Um, I guess, I guess um, <laughs> you've seen kind of enough up to this point of, I think we had like two or three, or maybe it was just two uh, recalls of like my, I guess at this point, zero to uh, 13 or 14. I told you about uh, my family. I guess I have one thing to add, and then we could figure out where you want to go with that. There was just one, I think, I thought I told you basically every detail that I remember that kind of impacted me in a strong way uh, last last week. So I did write down notes because I noticed, Joe, you kept going back to asking me, um, what about my family situation? Um, what was that like? And all I really had to say was my parents were... Like upset with me getting in trouble, and then um, my dad got cancer. There were actually some real like issues. Like when he started to uh, go through the chemo, and the he got uh, along with radiation steroid medication, and I think the steroids almost with like the chemo radiation made him a little uh, wild. He would like he would snap at me. It was really just me, but sometimes he would leave the house. So I jotted down a few things, whether it was before his radiation, because I painted you a picture of this suffering man, but I also want to let you know about some stuff I remembered about stuff that like happened in the house. So just yeah, jumping in, sure. jumping into it. Um, so like one or two times, if I, I, I could get very annoying, uh, talk, talkative, to the max, I would just be like a, a motor in 
him in my mom's ear sometimes. If I wanted something and they wouldn't give it to me, that was when I would be the worst, like obsessively talking. And then one day I think my mom was like – she was go- – my mom went through a weird thing where it was like menopause, but it was like five times worse than what normal women have menopause. She was getting uh, – hallucinogenic visions and me and her were not getting along much at this time this is when i was in fifth grade and i just remember her like being really uh bad and if there were one or two times if i did something like another time it would be july 4th fireworks and i would i had my hands in the sand and then i lifted my hand across our blanket at the beach to point to the fireworks and the the sand in my hand like went um, drop, dropleted over my family accidentally. I guess I was like in fourth or fifth grade too. And some of the sand dropped in my mom's eyes and she screamed, Oh, my eyes. And my dad, he must've been so mad at me already. This was probably elementary school or very early middle school before he was sick. Um, got so mad at me. Uh, for previous uh, insurrections, he was threatening for a while to send me to military school. So he just lost it when that sand got in her eye and completely accident. I wasn't trying to sand my mother's eye. I felt really bad about that, but I, I made like a gasp, like, <gasps> and then he just immediately like five starred me, like slapped me across the head to the point where like my head hurt a lot and like I was like on the ground for like ten seconds. And like basically like unable to move. My whole body was like paralyzed. And he did that another time when my mom was going through a menopause phase. He would like smack me across the head like pretty hard that I would like fall completely fall to the ground. It was like as hard as he could possibly smack. So those were just some issues that created a little animosity. And um, there would be times in my childhood I would run around like a crazy child and he would have to like hold me down and either smack my ass or he like filed like a wooden – it almost looked like a thicker ruler. He would call it the whooping stick and it was kind of a neighborhood joke. Some of our neighbors I told you about uh, in the past session, they would joke. They say, a whooping stick? You can't be – they thought of our family as kind of like, fu- like goofy, silly. So they couldn't believe this whooping stick that I would tell them and he – I don't know if he ever actually used a whooping stick, but he, he would smack my my butt a bunch of times. And in my, I almost have a false memory of him using the whooping stick because it was always such a threat. So I don't know if that's like PTSD. So it would just be random rages of anger, and then when he got the steroids from his medication, it would be so it would be a lot worse too. And um, some if he got really angry, if my sometimes my mom would get him angry. Um, never before the surgery, it was almost after he got his treatment in cancer. They had an amazing relationship, but in the, in his last year or two, he would like run out of the car or run out of the house or something. And what do you I, mean by run out of the car? Oh, he would get into an argument and he would like leave the house and like go see, go to the movies or something. And we wouldn't hear about him for like, but th- th- this was only a few isolated incidents, like when he was going through his chemo and radiation. He never did anything close to that before. So it's hard to even count that. And it wasn't even that big of a deal. It, but like sometimes the fits would get really bad. I, As I told you, the way I tormented my teachers and that girl last week, I did have a very mean streak. So I said to him um, – we had family – he just got through a surgery like a second surgery and we had family dinner with my grandparents and my grandpa was alive who I was very close with. I was staying with my grandparents while my dad was in the hospital and first time seeing my dad, we go to this Greek restaurant, family place in Queens. We have the dinner. I think my aunt, I don't know if my aunt and uncle were there, but it felt like a lot of people because that's usually where we go with the whole big family, special occasion type thing. Him getting out of surgery would be one. We get in the car after, and I say, it's just me, my father, and my mom at that point. Haven't seen him in weeks. He just got out of the surgery. I was in eighth grade, probably depressed. I didn't have many friends and going through my own issues. So I was just, I didn't know enough about the world to realize when not to make jokes and when not to, even though eighth grade's kind of late for that. So 
late to maturity for sure. But I said some, my dad would have blackouts and seizures where he wouldn't remember things. So I got in the car and I thought it was teasing him. I thought he, he would laugh, but this knew him after the surgery and the medications. He definitely um, took it as seriously as anyone would, but I shouldn't have said it. I said, I said, that was a great dinner. Oh, wait, you remember that? So like, cause he was having seizures and not remembering stuff. And like maybe me and him started off bad before the surgery, but people in my family had to ask me like at other times, not related to that, just times do you, from other insensitive things I would say, they would say, do you even realize what was going, what's going on? My grandpa would have to say when I would get in trouble in school to realize your, your dad is going to can fucking die and you, and you're here acting like an asshole. So yeah, my grandpa was very um, old school, tough like that. And he he had to half raise me in those ways, but uh, anyone could only do so much. I think he really did help me in high school when my father wasn't around to mature me into a man that I ended up having to be for my family and for everyone else. But it would be these, you know, um, acting out. But it's like me lashing out. But it's me thinking I'm being clever, but just such a delusion of what is the appropriate thing to be saying at any time, not thinking or even caring, like if my words at that moment, how people would perceive it. I just didn't think of it. That may be a trend that I see later, even up to this day, of a lack of gravity of situations that I don't take things very seriously in many times. I find it very hard to take things. Now I'm getting a little better at it, but even still to this day, it takes a lot for me to end up taking something seriously. A death of a parent can end up doing that. But, uh, can you, uh, he may, can he, you go back one second? Yeah. Can you clarify something for me? Yeah. You, when we were talking about middle school last week, yeah. um, I was under the perception that you were kind of like uh, smart-ass, funny, uh, class, uh, like jokester. Thank you. But I thought that you had like friends that was the impression I got that like you Word. were part of a group yeah so I had friends in school but um no no one really ever asked me much to hang out after school and I never really asked people I was a it happened more in high school there was a friend group there that really starred in me blossom I would I would have like individual play dates I would have like one buddy here in middle school one buddy there I like to keep to myself um a lot of times I was focused on my artwork and I uh, was obsessed with the show America's Most Wanted. I would watch it every Saturday night and stay home. I would see a friend on the weekend, sometimes two, maybe three. But I, I would say in sixth grade, I probably had like 10 hangouts. Seventh grade might be like, seventh grade was bar mitzvahs. So everyone was hanging out anyway. Um, but I never chilled with people really outside of that. Also, another thing, I told you about the family friend. Uh, his name was Perry. He was my friend since like two years old or whatever. Um, yeah. He was always my friend, so I would always go to his house. His house was always the spot I would go to hang out at. But it was because his mom was organizing everything. And I did something to um, – I did several things. Me and uh, some friends ended up bullying Perry on the bus and we had to have a fam family meeting. And then the mom saw that I was like acting like a dick to Perry. So she definitely stopped being so nice to me. But then with my dad being sick, she started being nice again. But then they had to dead me completely in eighth grade when I, I got accused of convincing Perry to post this quote from Curb Your Enthusiasm on his AIM status using the, the N-word. It was like a, a quote that his dad asked me if I watched the episode, and his dad said, wasn't that part so funny, quote verbatim. Then I then Perry said to me on AIM that it was when we were driving home from a bar mitzvah, so we were all still hanging out. So yeah, I did have hangouts, but I never had a designated best friend because this kid Perry would always have a true best friend, and I would be his like kind of kooky family friend. But Perry was a lot a person I was spending a lot of time with. But I did make my own acquaintances. Just I never had – I really never saw a purpose in getting so insanely close to someone, especially because I almost always had like an underlying loyalty, always thinking oh, I could always go back to Perry's. 
But then, like, his mom, after I told you about that subtle bullying and, like, kind of on and off, just me and Perry getting more distant and her wanting to distance herself completely, she used kind of him him posting the N-word on AIM from that show me and his dad watched as the excuse for him to dead me completely, and we never hung out again after that. We did end up... This was in middle school? This was uh, middle of eighth grade. We did end up uh, being uh, friendly again, being camp counselors at this camp we grew up at that our families had very important ties to when we were in high school, but we really never... We never truly got to that level of, like, hanging out that we had in middle school. Because Perry was, like, starting a band, and, like, I didn't play an instrument at that time. And I I was kind of, like, the unofficial singer, but my voice wasn't good. So I was kind of just there to make, to make them laugh, stuff like that. So, um, so that's why. Like, the friends, it, I didn't really have any great friends. That, that's, like, the best way to put it. But I also didn't have a ton of motivation. I... I was depressed because I was home alone, I guess, but it was more because I wanted a girlfriend than because I wanted, like, a boyfriend. Like, I, I had a, a ton of guy goons in school. that I never felt like I was, like, lacking a million friends. But when, in ninth grade, when people started to go to parties, then I did start to feel um, pretty out of the loop. But that was only the cool kids, uh, too. It wasn't like the Perry wasn't invited to, like, cool parties. But after him, his mom denning me after that N-word comment on AIM, our friendship definitely uh, deteriorated to um, nothingness, really. But just now, flash, flash forwarding, sorry to jump. I'll let you ask a question in one sec. It's just I have a little more to tell about kind of the interfamily trauma that my dad, after I said that super insensitive thing, he basically wouldn't let me stay in the car and wouldn't let me go home with them. He, he was so serious and demanded that I get dropped off back at my grandparents and stay there for the night. And obviously, like, my grandparents said, what's going on? And I was super embarrassed that, like, I wasn't acting like a man for my family. This was, like, eighth grade, eighth grade or early ninth grade, probably eighth grade. And it was just all kind of uh, really tense. So that kind of, like, maybe traumatized me a little. I don't know. Uh, my mom also had kind of weird stuff. Like I told you, she had menopause like times five. She had she started seeking like therapy, all this these different t- medical tests and stuff. And then she ended up taking yoga. But it just it, it's, this was from like fifth to seventh grade. Even though she she be, took all these steps to have a whole a whole, new holistic life, completely natural, going to Whole Foods to try and cure herself of this ailment that no doctor could cure. It was almost all in her head. So she did yoga and she became a yoga instructor, but it was really when my dad got sick that she stopped kind of that stuff. But in those two years, like her random hallucinations, she would randomly be like, have her head knocked on. I don't know why, what onset of this, but her head would be like resting on the counter. No one would be in the room. People would have stepped out for like five minutes but I would be like maybe a loner in the corner of my house on the, com- I spent a lot of time on the computer. I really enjoy, and I had a lot of friends in eighth grade, but they were probably all on aim. Even if they went to my high school, I would just aim people a lot. So I always kind of had that like catfishy sort of thing where I'd be friends a lot with someone over text or on face, MySpace. never really in person. It was a little weird, but I would hear my mom. Um, she would like wake up in the middle of like, her, her sleep and, and have like hallucinations of, or flashbacks of her childhood. And it, it was just kind of disturbing screaming of like what was in her dreams. Um, then she would have like some crazy punishments after my dad died. Um, she would get very possessive. If I ever smoked pot, if my breath smelled of alcohol, she would get really mad, and if a situation was inflamed, like if we had a hurricane and we lost power, she would get so mad at me for random things that she would – it would be anything from taking my phone or my shoes and throwing them out the window to disconnecting my phone for a week or two. I would deserve it a lot of times. I truly would, but these punishments, like sometimes they seem strict. As bad as if I left the house without her permission and she thought I was smoking pot by senior year – I would come home, I'd pass curfew, and all my clothes would be, like, in a garbage bag. 
and they would just all everything would be bundled up in the garbage bag. It would be like psychological torture. So it would be that up until college, like she would find out I was using hard drugs and the punishments got worse. She would end up being like a detective of it. Like she would go into a shed at any random time and would be able to smell if someone smoked there two days ago. And she could pinpoint within a 12 hour frequency how often someone did it. So she would be very overprotective and kind of all that really disturbed me. So I had on one hand, my dad was overreactive to my horrible, smart alecky kind of clowny, but also troublemaker stuff. And kind of, there was a bad kid underlying what I thought was just kind of childish ignorance. And then my mother had these kind of behavioral, um, moods I would say where she got into a mood and I would frequently be kind of that um, aspect of her attention that she would kind of go all out and it seemed like she was treating me in a different way other parents were so that was, you asked about my parents uh, I wanted to include that part to can you tell me a little bit about your father's death um he we visited him in the hospital uh, after his third surgery. He gave me a big hug before he went off for that surgery when we were in the house. And it was almost like he knew he was going to die. But I don't know. I, I was so um, still in, in, in shock. I was 15. And we visited him, and he didn't seem very good at all when we visited him. He had a blood clot in his lung, a complication from, I think, the radiation or the surgery. And he... He um, he he really didn't look good. So my mom and my brother go to I, to pick him up in the hospital one day, and they say wait here, wait with the dog Sasha while we go pick him up. They went to pick him up and they bring him home, and they I think I was like doing something stupid on the computer because when they rang and he was at the door, he was standing at the door. I looked, I looked through the eye hole of the door and it looked like he was about to die. He, his eyes were closed and he looked like he couldn't breathe. Then it was like in a five second period, still me looking through the eye hole. He dropped to the floor. He dropped to the ground in front of our house and um, I open the door. I open it a crack. Sasha runs out. Sasha's scared or she stays in. I open it a crack and I'm just looking through a crack. I don't come out. I'm, I'm just in petrified and shock. They're running to him as he's passed out on the ground. He looks like he can't breathe. He died from the blood clot. He looks up at me through the door and he holds up his hand for me to come closer to him. And I'm in such shock, I can't even move from to, from the door to come closer to him. I'm just petrified with the door half cracked. I have I have a look on my face like I don't even know him. And he didn't even look like himself with his head half cut open. He was completely like bald. And he, he had gained about 50 pounds more from the steroids at that time. So he, he didn't look like himself. And he's looking at me, telling me to come over. And I almost like couldn't I, I I don't know if I even came out until he died um Perry's mom saw it as she was take she was pulling in with his her daughter uh she r runs across the street she, I've never seen this woman uh jump into action or be more emotional she grabbed our like 50 pound armchair and she threw it about 15 feet she was a larger woman but she had almost had superhuman strength throwing this 50 pound thing, 15 feet. I don't joke when I say that. Um, we watched him die for about 10 minutes as firefighters came. They couldn't revive him. He had a blood clot. Like I said, um, I just went back inside and I just, just deposed on the ground as my dog, um, sat on me and, uh, Perry's, mom was screaming at the ambulance people and that was like the only thing that made sense to me at that point that like she even all the bullshit that me and Perry had uh, she cared that much that's oh, it's so sad Alex I'm so uh, so I feel sad hearing that story right now 
I appreciate that, Joe. That's really traumatic for a young boy to experience. Yeah, well, I was super young. And it was so visceral and also cerebral how I saw it and I felt it. It was right in front of me. Like, a lot, I hear a lot of people's parents dying in their sleep or something. But, like, to see him look me in the eye telling me to telling me to go to him closer and I couldn't even look at him. I, I, I couldn't even go to him. I was looking at him, but I, I was frozen in motion. Not going, like, not treating those moments more, not, like, running up to him and hugging him. Like, that's, like, one regret of mine that it doesn't, like, torture me, but it's something I would have liked to have changed. Such is life. I don't share it every day, so it's uh, it's a therapeutic feeling to be able to say it out loud and give it to kind of an unbiased source who, you're a human, you have to um, feel some type of way hearing about a child's father's death, but I don't know, I didn't talk about it, I didn't talk about it or him of to anyone for years and years and years. Family members of his asked my mom, how are the boys doing? And she says, surprisingly, completely okay. I blocked all of it out, and my mom said, I really think you should talk about this. She said, it may impact you later in life, and it may um, come back to haunt you, wishing that you got some things off your plate. And I said, I said, no, I don't think I need to do that. Uh, it's better to not talk about those things. So I, I didn't talk about it for a really long time. And then I went through some weird, kind of weird, like, few, like, month phase where I wasn't getting any job offers for accounting positions in college. And I told you I was having nervous fits on our first session uh, on uncontrollable anxiety. So I started trying to tell uh, the people people in the job interviews about I was doing the reverse I went from almost not talking about it at all to talking about it in the one place you shouldn't I saw some Matt Damon movie where he played like a con artist and he made up lies telling people he would first meet that about his parents dying which wasn't true because he wanted them he heard that people will feel bad for you and like you more if you tell them that so since I wasn't getting job interviews I thought maybe my dad would have wanted um, me to uh kind of use my struggles to, you know, get a position. He always wanted me to be an accountant. So I went a lot of like my direction in life probably was impacted by uh, things he asked for me prior to him dying also. But I would go into these interviews where if I thought the person wasn't vibing with me or was skeptical, if I would be fit for the position, I would bring up uh, my father passing away and how it gave me um, a lot of grit and understanding and compassion. And then like my school of management, entire university program director emailed our entire like thousand person class and said, we have been getting reviews from the Binghamton recruiters that Binghamton students are very low quality they even went as far as to say Albany kids are better. For record, there's some things none of you should ever mention in interviews. And then there was a list of about five or ten inappropriate things. Number one in capital letters: never tell, never tell of family sickness or death. This is so not <laughs> the thing to do. So I said, okay, never going to do that again. So yeah, I really don't uh, tell it to too many people, quite honestly. Who do you feel comfortable sharing that with? Uh, my therapist. Um, <laughs> I guess like these uh, two guys who I got closer with. One's name is Ryan and one's name is Ben. Because Ryan's mom died within a week of my dad dying. And we've now like recently become like best friends in the past like two years. And then my other friend, Ben, whose dad died recently. I don't think I could share it uh, with someone who didn't uh, go through that. Who's like, who knows me like that. 
so you want someone to relate, or you want someone to know you well, or I guess someone you can relate to. I'm wondering. It's kind of like how like black people like would rather hang out with black people a lot of times, and not to generalize, but it's kind of like that. Like when you have a shared um, struggle, you really can't be on that level with someone who didn't go through that. As weird as that sounds, but I never talked about it, so I never had people to relate to more like that. But uh, I think probably once I started talking about it in a safe space, then I uh, felt a little better about it. What was it like for you to share it at interviews when you were trying to get a job? Um, it was a little uncomfortable, but I was so I was so paralyzed by the anxiety and the fear that I would. I had some really weird thought in my head, like a lot of college students that like. I may, well, for, I had a really weird fear that I wasn't good enough and I had some like superior, maybe some inferiority complex. I don't know. In some ways I thought like I was overconfident, but in other ways I didn't think like I would be able to perform or I didn't want to perform the job functions of an accountant adequately. Like I was looking for a job that would be more cushy or something, but everything I kept applying, making money and not having to work that much. That was my mentality. Clearly, that's not the case anymore. But in like junior and senior year, that's what I was going through. So I was so in such fear. I was getting rejected all the time from the interviews, but I, I feared I would get rejected from the interviews because um, I applied to a professional frat in uh, sophomore year, and they rejected me because maybe because of nervous anxiousness. Maybe I uh, came off in a bad vibe. It could have been anything. But a lot of that fear also going into that was when I got rejected by some fraternities uh, in freshman year of college. So it's kind of these series of long-spanning rejections, never really any acceptance, which all went to the forefront for these job interviews. And then I was starting to have a fear that I would never get hired. I would be too weird in the interviews that no one would ever give me a position so that I would end up homeless. So I had these like really impending doomsday type fears that uh, it, it was a drop in the bucket to use my father's sacrifice on this planet to help see that I could just have my affairs in order, that I would get a paycheck every week. But it's, it obviously didn't work out that way. And I continued to get rejected. Um, I got one job at the PwC accounting firm uh, because – I found a loophole where they accepted everyone, no matter how bad of an interviewer someone was, in the winter segment because they needed people for the busy season, January through March internship. So that was the one internship that I was told would accept me, and I worked for three years. That was what I wanted in the end, and I ended up getting that. But then my anxiousness and my hesitance to kind of commit, full, go all in on something – I wasn't taking the work seriously. I didn't think they wanted as legitimate of a job. I thought like they would allow a lot of mistakes and I didn't need to be super precise. So I ended up getting fired after that internship. Not fired, they just asked me not to come back. But they asked 95% of the kids to come back. And I was um, in like my performance reviews, it was nothing about the interpersonal aspect. It was purely that my work was of a very low uh standard because it, it really was it, it was like night and day from what i do now with my current job i just wasn't able to get um I, and i worked so hard to get that internship and i just wasn't i wasn't treating it the way it it had to be because i never treated my schoolwork that way i never really took my schoolwork that seriously either i somehow got a's on te i took the test seriously but I thought if they were asking me to, to do a random Excel thing, I was thinking, okay, I don't have to format this. I could have a lot of errors. And it was like that for like six weeks until I pissed them off enough that they just gave me so many bad performance reviews that even when I turned it around at the end of the internship and I, tr I started actually going in coercion with what they were looking for, I pissed off um, one or two of these girls too much to that point where they were just not having it. So I got fired from that, and that kind of set me back for like a year and a half into another state of like inadequacy and mild depression between like uh, 16 through mid-17. And then I really came into my own for having uh, this recent job.
So that was kind of jumping into a lot of territories, but there was almost like, I feel like I just went over the essentials. I don't think I needed, uh, cause maybe last week I was getting too caught up on the intricacies of like a prank I pulled or something or a, a mean joke, but that was kind of an overview now of the, yeah, of 10, 10 or 15 years. So I guess, yeah, if, um, now, if you want to ask me other order. questions, we can go in whatever direction you want to go, and then we can assess like what we do uh, future moving forward. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm there's a lot to unpack. I, I just did rapid fire. Um, I, I'm sure it was hard to get uh, all that down, but uh, what what do you think makes the most sense as far as my initial problem coming into you saying? My first day, Joe, um, I'm not being the man I'd like to be on the dates with these women. I'm having these like kind of anxiety attacks, and I'm not putting my best foot forward, not coming in that way. Like, What approach, based on what I've told you, do you think now makes sense in that purview that I still am like, feel like I have those issues, even if they went kind of away in my uh, professional segment of my life? It sounds like... Uh a little bit of social anxiety yeah. based on what you said about right. your feelings. Yeah. Um, not related to even women, but right. and, you know, not feeling inadequate because you were rejected at a fraternity and because of yeah. some job setbacks. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it it seemed like it was always a little bit before that, but um, I ended up be finding a group um, in my high school where I could be the clown and I was like the legendary um, comedian. Like they looked up to me, and then everyone else in the in the group seemed less cool to me, um, beef because less cool to other people because I would just kind of take things to an extreme always, like sophomore through senior year of high school, and then in college I found another group where they kind of looked up to me that way. Um, in Buffalo, left that group. Probably, in retrospect, that group was like some of the coolest to me. Because I wanted to go to Binghamton. I had guaranteed transfer to go to Binghamton. So I go to Binghamton my second semester. And I found a, a, another group with one of the kids from my high school friend group who ended up bringing me into that. And I, I took on that comedian-type role. But then as the kids started to mature, like sophomore, junior year, they s started to get less cute with like kind of my antics and then started to become kind of like out of place and a little weird, like the things I was doing that like made sense in high school and people laughed at thought it was like kooky and crazy in high school. So kind of that Joker streak, it didn't last forever, even if I still like, was making people laugh. And then I went, I, I like expanded to other groups in college and other groups kind of loved me as a Joker, but I really never found another group like I had in high school, which that group dissipated, but I still keep in touch with like, three or four of the guys from that group all the time. Like those are really my only friends from that original high school, high school group. I don't even realize it at the time because I, I was, I was, I was just doing what in retrospect, I see that that's what it was. I didn't see that as, as that at the time, because I didn't have enough experience with friend groups. But also, what you took in from that experience, it probably makes you feel pretty important going forward. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, felt, I, felt, I felt like a leader, and I like, I like to have that role as leader. But a lot of times um, when you make an ass of yourself, and because these kids were kind of quirky themselves, so that's why I excelled. But in groups with more normal or more kind of mature-minded people, that behavior ends up looking more clownish and less cool. But uh, I don't know. there's definitely some intertwined, not to generalize, like there can be 50-year-old men who have their shit together, but and they could like work in finance or whatever, but on weekends they can be total asses still and doing like beer pong and like strip poker or whatever. I don't know. So it doesn't mean that just because you're a funny person that you have to be 
have like low self-esteem or be like the bottom of, of a food chain or just the one that people make fun of. Like it is possible to be clownish to and to have people respect you too and do that. I, do that. I really always, the best way I could put it is I always had a hard time um, walking that line, that, that blend between people la- laughing with me and the things I want and people yes. laughing at me. I've always had a hard time straddling that, that ultra gray area, at least for me. Some people, they have no problem with that. They either know how to be serious or they know how to be funny while people respect them for it. So that's definitely one thing I uh, focused on. Maybe I put too much of an emphasis on being funny and kind of the um, – I, w- I was always looking to make things less serious and more out of control or ridiculous or at least that's my impression now. Maybe I had different thoughts at the time. That always seemed to be where things ended up getting taken and it doesn't sound so meaningful when you put it that way. It sounds pretty useless and nihilistic if you think someone was or, always just trying to be a fuckboy or, or something. Or it was you unconsciously altering what reality was to you at a time when your father was dying. Right? That, that's like the that's joke a, you made in the car. It's a total pos it's a total pos I was trying to turn awkward and heavy situations lighter by diffusing it, saying something like completely like from left field and off the wall comment. And I thought people would maybe like laugh with me. That's all. <laughs> that's a very good point, Joe. And also another uh, issue of mine that sometimes I think people are going to, you know, I'll say all the time. I think people are going to completely be for the jo- a joke that I might make. And so many times, so much people will misinterpret it and not understand where I'm coming from or take offense to it or take it personally or laugh at me for it or think I'm the fool or not even get it and think I'm an idiot. So you do run the risk of exposing yourself all the time when you do something out of the ordinary or weird. Alex, yeah. uh, we got a few minutes left. I sure. just wanted to know if you reached out to that. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a super weird story with that one. Um, I had my appointment on Thursday, but I, I organized the thing wrong. And for the time slot I wanted, which was 7 p.m. on a Thursday, it gave me Dr. Osborne. But I, you wanted, you needed me to go to Dr. Buck. So I'm telling Dr. Osborne my problems for 10 minutes. I tell her about like the heroin issue. That's why I'm here. And she said she doesn't do that. She do, she can't prescribe Suboxone. She doesn't have that thing. She understands exactly why you sent me there and to Dr. Buck. So she canceled my appointment. It was a complete misunderstanding. I had to schedule another one with Dr. Buck. Um, but I also got an unfortunate uh, memo from their therapy, which is what I originally anticipated that it's going to cost 175 per session. It's not going to cost uh, similar to what ours cost because I, I didn't reach my $4,000 deductible. I'm only about like 260 in. So I don't know if I would reach it like later in the year or if I should just jump into it now. It could get kind of expensive if I have to look. What was the amount that you thought I was going to have to see them for? And what exactly am I like saying um, is my need for – I need to speak to someone like every two to four weeks um, who has that – who's um, specializing in this field of medicine because while I see yeah. therapy, I also yeah. have a heroin issue. Is that like what I'm saying basically? Yeah. So look. Uh, yeah. You don't need to see them every two weeks. Okay. I, I can reach out to Doctor. Yeah. Doctor Buck. I don't know him that well. You don't. But I'll tell have you, him. Have you ever spoke to him? I'm, yeah. Okay. I'll tell him that I'm seeing you weekly. Uh, in addition to working on uh, anxiety and childhood trauma, that uh, I also work full time at a methadone clinic, and I'm more than comfortable counseling someone who's using heroin. You seem very stable. You have a full-time job. I appreciate that. You have your own that. apartment. Cool. You're, you're seeing me because you want to improve um, social social life and stuff like that. Social life. Ha- happiness. Women. Yeah. You do have friends. Like You have a friend yeah. group. You're yeah. close to your mom. Um, you seem relatively healthy. Like The two you. times I've seen you, like you're not overweight or anything like that. You're not 
underweight, like a lot of heroin addicts I see, they look like skeletons. Because I told you, I, I, I really don't use like that, but I really appreciate uh, you saying that, Joseph. I really want you to, uh, yeah, fortunately, to get a prescription for Suboxone, you probably do have to see a psychiatrist once a month because it's a registered narcotic that can't give it to you like once every three months or something. They might start doing that after they work with you for a little bit. But it's just, I see so many people overdose because fentanyl is cut into like all heroin now. It's it is. so common. It is. It's, it's a good uh, business strategy to use a small amount of a substance and sell it for a much larger amount compared to having to purchase more heroin to resell. So I, I'm just really concerned with your safety, even if you're using a small amount, a small amount of fentanyl is still much more than what you were expecting to put into your system. Yeah. And I would just feel much more comfortable if you would just take one appointment with Dr. Buck and just talk to him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely talk to him um, one time and then see what he recommends for that. And for the record also, I, I don't have a shortage of Suboxone because it takes me four to six um, months to go through. And I use it practically. Um, I haven't been using it at all, actually, because uh, I haven't been going to work. It's Like I was saying, it was really the stress of like going into the office and getting on the subway, so which delusional. I didn't like too much, which is what, what I Not really like needed I to like get myself up in the morning, but also I, it definitely did make me more productive. I see, uh, my mornings are off to a much slower start, not using the Suboxone, but I end up working later because of that anyway. So that's not really a problem. But when I was using Suboxone, I was going through one, one piece of Suboxone every four to six months, uh, using probably three to five days a week because I, like I said, I use like a one hundredth or one hundred fiftieth of each uh, tab, and I have, like, I bought, like, nine pills for my friend, which I have, like, a cutter, so I could cut into micro dosages, and I have, I think, like, six or seven more of the uh, orange tab kinds, so like, the, the amount of Suboxone I have, I have, like, five years left of my supply, but I'll definitely talk to Dr. Buck so that I have this, um, yeah, you know, this other person who, who deals with this and he can assess kind of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Make that appointment with him. Okay. Let, let me know what it's for. And we'll, we'll meet again next week. And I'll also reach out to Dr. Buck this week and, and see if I could have a phone uh, conversation with him. Okay. Do you want me to meet, meet up with, like, have one meeting with him before you talk to him? Or do you want to do it before I uh, meet up with him? Uh, either one is fine with me. Okay. Well, I appreciate you doing that and taking your time to do that because that's off the clock. So, um, that's really well, all. That's really all. Awesome my job. <laughs> um, cool. Listen, man, you, you did great work today. Thank you so much for, for sharing everything. I, I know. Thank you for listening. About when a father passes away, we'll we'll meet again next week at twelve sure. fifteen. Awesome. Twelve fifteen sounds good um, to me. All right, man. Stay healthy. Hope all is well. You too. Bye. Bye. That's what it sounds like, unfortunately, when a therapist deads a client. It really sucks when that sort of thing happens. That would never happen to any of you, I'm sure. But I've been at that end of the stick, and it's just an um, uncomfortable situation to be in a little bit. So people, I think I've realized what my actual problem is. I just have my head so far up my ass that I'm in a different galaxy 100% of the time. I'm just deluding in my own world things that I think are funny and interesting and forcing that vomit on the population as a whole. I'm really like a social terrorist or something. I just feel so bad now that the entirety of our Apple population has to be subjected to such a rude and foolish and stupid person. But this human being wants everyone to know one thing. We're here and we're leaving. <laughs>